This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and we're going to talk today with our guest, Charles Sidoti. And today our show is going to be on simple contemplative, contemplative spirituality. And let me tell you a little bit about Charles before we start. Charles is a clinically trained board-certified chaplain and coordinator of spiritual care at South Point Hospital Cleveland Clinic Health System. He is the author of two books, Living at God's Speed, Healing in God's Time, published in 2011, and Simple Contemplative Spirituality, published in 2016, and he is also an Open to Hope writer. Welcome to the show, Charles. Oh, thank you very much. It's a great honor to be here with you. So I love what we're talking about today. Um, I love the whole concept of spiritual care, especially as it relates to grief and loss. And I wanted to start by asking you, how does your book fit into our theme at Open to Hope of finding hope after loss? Well, you know, when I was invited to to participate in this, I I, I really had to give that some thought. Mm-hmm. And what I came up with is that realizing that the Open to Hope Foundation is dedicated to helping people find hope after loss. And I guess what I want to say as an author is that there's no quick fix for the grief process just to recognize that and and that it's a process and that I want to respect that, acknowledging that people need to walk through grief and that each person's walk through grief is unique. So the question that I came up with and I wanted to think about before doing this interview was, how does a book on contemplative spirituality fit into that theme of finding hope after loss? Mm -hmm. And for me... The answer is, is that there are things that can be helpful in our quest for healing and finding hope after loss and things that can impede our healing. And one of these things is our image or our way of understanding God for those who believe in God. Um, and that's what the contemplative life is all about. It's about our image and our experience of God in our lives. And what I want to say is that a book about contemplative spirituality, contemplative spirituality is just a fancy way of describing a way of understanding God as a part of life within us and within our world, as opposed to understanding God as being up in heaven someplace, removed, looking down, zonking us with grace. Right. So, so Charles, I wanted. I had a question for you, which I know some of our um, listeners are thinking about. What I find a lot when I work with people that have had the death of children and, and siblings and any loved one in their families or any loved ones is that a lot of times after somebody dies, people get are very angry at God. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they even lose their faith and their spirituality. Right. And And they feel like, you know, if there was a just God— how could he have taken, in my case, my brother or a child? And I'm just wondering, what would you say to people out there right now that are grappling with this question? 
Well, first of all, that is, it, um, anger is such a part of the grief process, and there's no easy answer for that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, one of the things that I um, learned as a chaplain is the younger the person it is who dies, that, like say if I'm called to the emergency room for the death of um, a baby, mm-hmm. the younger the person it is who dies, the less I say. Oh, interesting. The less I say. Um, I have found as a chaplain, and I've learned this by experience, mm-hmm. when I was um, still in what's called clinical pastoral education, um, learning to become a chaplain, I would be called to the um, the pediatric uh, unit. And that's where I learned. I remember there was, it, it was many years ago when I was just learning, and I was called to the pediatric uh, department at the Cleveland Clinic, and a child died. He was probably, I'm going to say he was between four and six years old. Mm-hmm. And it, it was one of my first times ever responding. And there I am, a brand-new chaplain, and I asked the dad if he'd like me to say a prayer with him. you know. And he looked at me, and he said, say a prayer. Well, just what you just said, what kind of a God would mm-hmm. allow this? Mm-hmm. Okay. So... What I have learned is is that um, the younger the person it is who dies, um, the less that I say, and that's where um, I just try to focus on presence and being whatever I can be for those folks because I don't have answers for um, for those things, and um, it's just very hard. So, well, I love what you're saying because I mean, just being with someone when they've had a loss is is powerful. Well, I've never had anyone turn on me mm-hmm. for saying, I am so sorry for you. Right. I'm so sorry. Um, about a month ago, I was called into the emergency department here, and all I knew was that there was um, a young person brought in. So I walked into the exam room, and they were doing CPR on an eight-month-old baby. Wow. And so there I am. um the baby's father and grandmother were there, and I took one look. I knew what was going on. The, the baby had died, and they were just continuing just to just to do it for the family, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just it, it it was just such a traumatic experience. And I remember the mother coming in. Um, they had to call her from work, and uh, it was just a horrific situation. And there again, it's the best I could do as a chaplain. I can't fix things. Right. I can't, um, but I can be there, and uh, somehow you hope that it's um, appreciated. And all I can really say is, is that that kind of grief. I don't think anyone here, ha- anyone can give you the answers. I think you have to live with the questions. Right. You know, and um, through the process of life, um, some healing is possible. I truly believe that. Well, I love what you're saying, Charles. I mean, I know that my brother died at 17. He wasn't an infant, but he definitely died before his time. And, you know, before he died, when someone would die, I would send a card. Mm -hmm. But after he died, I realized what really people want is you to send yourself. 
Mm-hmm. And like you said, they don't want to have it fixed because you can't fix it unless you can find get the per- all they want is that person back. But being there with them is is really such a gift that you can give them. Um, and not necessarily, like you said, saying things. It's hard because, you know, a lot of times people mean well and they try to help you by saying things sure. like, he at least he didn't suffer, at right. least it was fast, at least he's in a better place. Right. And those things tend to minimize what we're going through in the moment. It's hard to hear that initially when you've had the death of, of you know, someone that you've loved. Right. And that's where that's where... I want to return to how can a book on contemplative spirituality help us to find hope? Right. Okay. And so what I want to say is both of my books are dedicated to to living a contemplative life, which, again, means more and more growing to find God in daily life within our situation. Okay. In the first book, Living at God's Speed, Healing in God's Time, that was published in 2011, and I had a contributing author. I'm a Catholic chaplain, and mm-hmm. I had and I had a contributing author who's a rabbi. And that book was written for people who tend to worry. Okay, and then and I know a lot of people can identify with that. I can myself. Okay, so that book was written for people who tend to worry, but it still has the primary focus of living a contemplative life as the best antidote for worry. And I want to say the best antidote for for finding hope and healing too is when we see God more and more in our lives as a part of life. In my most recent book, Simple Contemplative Spirituality, which which we're talking about, um, I chose to write within my own faith tradition, which is Catholic Christian. Um, and its primary message is that many people mistakenly believe that contemplation is something meant, or really finding God in daily life is meant for something, is meant exclusively for cloistered nuns or monks or people who live in monasteries. But this book sets out to demonstrate that the contemplative life is meant for everyone, ordinary people just like us. Um, although this book is written within the Christian tradition, the contemplative life or finding God in daily life is meant for everyone. So, Charles, I'm not really sure what that means. I like the concept, but can you talk about, okay, how do we find God in everyday life? Give me some concrete examples so I can kind of understand what you're talking about. Okay, Okay. the first chapter is called The Living Word of God, Mm -hmm. the basis of the contemplative life. Okay, most people, or or most of the time when when we hear somebody talk about the Word of God, Yes. Like, I really need to get back into the Word of God, something like that. Usually they're talking about the written words of the Christian Bible, which is absolutely fine. And that's how a lot of people understand that. But the living Word of God with a capital W is what's talked about in First John and in the very familiar uh, text. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word was with God, and the Word was um, present in the beginning. And further, through him, all things came into being. So it's obvious that the writer of that gospel, in saying, in the beginning was the Word, um, he wasn't talking about the written Word because the Bible didn't exist in the beginning. So if the Word was present in the beginning and was with God— and was God, 
the word that the author is referring to is spirit. And then the next verse talks about, and it's through that word that all things came into being. So that being said, this means that you and me, the written word of God, the Bible, and all, <clears throat> and all of creation, the, the phones we're talking on right now, mm-hmm. and the breath that we're taking in and, and, and saying words with, exist in the one spoken living word of God. So that's the basis of the contemplative life. Okay, so Charles, I know that you talk about ways individuals can seek and express meaning and purpose in their lives. Mm-hmm. Can you say a little more about that? Um, repeat the question. Well, you talk a little bit about how individuals can seek and express meaning and purpose. Um, and kind of stories about how to view <clears throat> all life as spiritual. Um you know, I know for myself, when my brother died, yes. this reminds me kind of of my own, of my own story. So my brother died in sure. a car accident along with my cousin. Okay. It was very sudden and traumatic because my cousin was driving <clears throat> in the car, hydroplaned, and it blew up. And they were both only 17. And at that point, I became very depressed sure. and suicidal because my brother was my go-to guy. He was my everything. Right. And I didn't know how to live my life without him. And I got into a dark kind of abyss. And I took my own existential journey, which was a, a journey, you know, of, it was a journey that lasted a couple of years, I have to be honest with you. And um, sure. I was 20 at the time when he died. And what I found, I, I ended up reading a book called Man's Search for Meaning with, by Viktor Frankl. Okay. And in it, it was very, it really touched me because, you know, it was a story about the Holocaust mm-hmm. and talked a lot about how Viktor Frankl had not only survived but it gone on to thrive despite watching his pregnant wife, his parents, and all his friends perish. And what he said, he, he was worried that he was going to end up perishing himself and losing the will to live. Right. And what he said is that you need to find purpose and meaning just during times of great adversity right. in order right. to go on. And that is the existential struggle. Yes, yes and I'm thinking yes, about, you know, yeah. this kind of reminds me a lot of that. And uh he also quoted Nietzsche as saying, he who has a why to live can bear it with almost any how. Right. In other words, we have to know our reason. We have to know our purpose right. on this earth. Right. And if we know that, right. our every day will not be as difficult. Right. A- absolutely. And that, and what, what I hear you saying, mm-hmm. because I'm very familiar with what you're talking about. Right. Okay. And what, what that says is we are to – we're – we need to grow all through our lives, okay, mm-hmm. and to be able to, and when, and so during a time of of uh, tragic loss, okay, we may think we have meaning and purpose and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then something like what you just described, the loss of your brother and, and your cousin, and it's like the rug gets pulled out from under you. Right. And you're like in this free fall, and it's like, what I thought gave my life meaning before it's all gone away because or it doesn't mean anything exactly and and so so that that is some very hard stuff and so what I look for okay as a chaplain what I would say what I look for is um, spiritual distress and what you just described would be spiritual distress mm-hmm. and what I mean by that okay as a chaplain that's what I look for. Um, I like to think of spiritual distress as being on a continuum. You know how when a nurse comes in and they ask you to rate your pain? 
right, yes. one to ten. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I look at that same thing, and I look at a person's spirituality. Okay, on a on a continuum, on the with um, one or zero being the best. Okay, that would be spiritually thriving. Okay, so spiritual distress has to do with the level of connectedness that we feel or don't feel with life, ranging from spiritually thriving on the one end to spiritually despairing on the other. So a person that is spiritually thriving feels connected to life, Mm -hmm. to God and to others, and is hopeful despite what is going, what is happening and going on around them. And for instance, I meet with people who know that they'll be dying any minute or any day, and they can be spiritually thriving because because they still feel connected. They feel that what's going on is a part of their journey. And um, and on the other end, um, someone that feels spirit who is spiritually despairing feels disconnected from life from others. So for those that are listening that are that are in the spiritual despairing Mm -hmm. part, and we have a lot of listeners that are are there right now because they've had children die and siblings die and and young people die. What what would you say to those people? How do you get move towards the spiritual thriving place? Well one thing that that I very recently um, came up with was I talk to a lot of patients every day, okay, that that's what I do all day. Right. And it involved, um, and and many of them are um, experiencing grief, w- whether it's, um, you know, a loss is a loss, whether it's the loss of a loved one or the loss of your health. Mm-hmm. I talk to people who are 40 years old and they're dying, you know. And so something that, that I very recently started asking people to think about, and I even do in my own life, is this question, okay? And not to give me an answer, okay, but just just to think of, is are you able to see what you're experiencing as a part of your life journey? Or do you tend more to see it as a mistake that was somehow allowed to happen or a dream that you in some way or at some level hope you might wake up from and again, I'm not looking for the answer or expecting an answer. But um, again, are you able to see what you're experiencing as a part of your life journey? And I've had, when I ask people that, I can see them pondering that. And um, I find myself using it in my own life when something happens that, that really cuts to the core of me. I think it, it's just a great question to ponder because the more we are able to see it as, as, as a part of our life's journey, then I think there's always hope there then. Mm-hmm. That's, so, that's really helpful, Charles, and that's a helpful question. And the, it's mm-hmm. the narrative and the way that we look at what's happening. Mm-hmm. So how do people find you if they want to know more about your message and, and get your books? Where do they go? The best way is to just uh, put my name, um, Charles Sidoti, and just go on wordpress.com, and my site will, will come up. 
Charles Sidoti. And Charles, your last name is spelled S-I-D-O-T-I. Right. S as in Sam, I-D-O-T-I. Right. And WordPress.com. And I also have a lot of articles posted there, Well, as, as well as on the Open to Hope site. So. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Charles, and thank you for all the work that you're doing with so many out there. It is so, so very needed. Well, it's truly my pleasure. Thank you, Heidi, so much for having me. Thank you. And for those of you listening, if you've lost hope, please lean on mine and lean on Charles until you find your own. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.